Welcome back to another episode of the SDR Game Podcast. Today, I'm excited uh, to introduce Jen Marley, head of Advances at Melchek. You might know him on LinkedIn and his newsletter, Practical Prospecting. Jed, great to have you here. Yeah, super happy to be here, Albert. Appreciate you uh, sending it up. Super excited uh, for today. But before we start um, our conversation, can you introduce yourself for those people who don't know you already? Yeah, for sure. Um, uh, yeah, I'm the head of outbound sales at Mailshake. I've been here for about three months. I kind of started my career in the SDR SaaS space about three years ago at a company called Mailshake, uh, not Mailshake, sorry, Pandadoc. Um, started there as an SDR and kind of helped uh, build out the outbound SDR team, ended up managing it. And then, like I said, three months ago, came over to Mailshake. So, um, yeah, that's pretty much my background. And then I, I run a newsletter called Practical Prospecting, where I share kind of prospecting and SDR advice and, and tactics. Today, uh, we're going to talk about um, a topic uh, that I know you are sharing a lot uh, recently on LinkedIn, but also on other podcasts. And I'm super interested to learn more about that with you because basically you, you, you said, and there's a massive problem right now with SDR orgs in general, and uh, that no one is talking about. Basically, it's that cold emails are ending up in spam. We talk generally about open and reply rates uh, that we need to improve that. But the thing is, if you are not thinking about your email availability, well, well, that's not useless to improve, but that's something you need to, f to think about. What happened at Penadoc to make you think about your email availability? What did you see? Yeah, so I mean, I think it is a really big problem. And it starts with the fact that I think right around the time COVID happened, a lot more cold emails were going out. I think there's literally statistics that show like a 40% increase in the amount of cold emails going out. And so as a result, all these email servers, Outlook, Gmail, they started tightening up their restrictions because they want to create a good experience for their users and they don't want spam to get through. And so we started to notice this at Pandadoc for that reason. And then also because we scaled the team so fast, you know, we had like three SDRs and then a year later we had 20. And so that's almost three at, or seven X the number of emails going out um, as a result of that growth. So there's, you know, at, again, as a result, um, it started to hurt our deliverability. Our open rates were starting to go down, even though we were sending the same types of emails. Um, so that's really where I started to notice it. Um, and, I, and I think it's a, you know, you might've seen on my content where I said, you know, it's a massive problem that one's talking about because it is, you know, everybody's still focused on the same things. They're like, oh, just write a better email, just write a better subject line. But that doesn't matter if your email's ending up in the spam folder. And I started thinking about this stuff a lot more when I joined Mailshake, since that's a big part of what we do. And there's so many things that have to happen behind the scenes before you even think about the content of your email to make sure you're set up for the most success in terms of cold email deliverability. And before we talk about that, um, how many emails did your team was sending at, at Penadoc? You said you had three trees at the beginning and then 20, and you said that was uh, 7x the volume. So what? how many emails did they send? Probably like 100 to 200 per day per rep. You saw that. Um, and then what did you do uh, to, to prevent that? Well, we didn't fully fix the problem is the thing. We started to, okay. and uh, shout out to uh, Steve and Chase on my team who really started to uh, do more research on the concept of email deliverability. He kind of brought it to me as well. So some of the things he started doing was warming up emails, um, fixing like the domain records, uh, DKIM, DMARC, SPF, just a bunch of weird acronyms that basically mean you have authentication to send out cold emails. And without those records, a lot of spam filters won't let you through. They're looking, hey, do you have DMARC? If not, we're going to send you to the spam folder. So those are two of the things. The second, and then the third thing is just scaling down the number of emails we were sending out. Uh, but we didn't fix the entire problem. 
but that was those are the those are the kind of the two main things warming up emails and fixing the domain help and when you say warming up for example um what do you do do you use a, like a, a second domain for sending emails or if i don't know for what's your process with a warming up a domain a warm-up tool there's warm-up tools out there and what a warm-up tool does is if you think about one domain right you have a whole company on one domain email servers expect a certain ratio of email opens and email responses uh, to come from that domain. And so if you don't meet that threshold of number of responses you should be getting when you're sending out emails to that domain, email servers will notice that and say, hey, this kind of looks like somebody who's spamming. And so if you got the SDR team who's only getting a 1% reply rate and that SDR team is 20, but the rest of the company, yeah, they're just sending regular emails getting responses, that still hurts the domain as a whole. And so what yeah. email warmup does is it runs in the background it sends emails on your behalf to a database of contacts that then responds to those emails, marks them as important, takes them out of the spam folder, and that just runs in the background. So it's kind of like robots for your email, or I like to call them steroids for your email. And it almost tricks the email servers that you have, you know, a higher open rate, a higher reply rate, so that when you do actually email your prospects, you're gonna land in the primary inbox more often because you have this email warm up running in the background. So we started looking at tools like that, and uh, I didn't know about email warm-up tools for the longest time, but it's a, it's a big hot, you know, it really helps with the open rates and, and landing in the inbox. Warming up your inbox, did you do that or start Panonic? Because I imagine if you already have, uh, are sending emails, uh, warming up your inbox after, it helped you reduce this? Or... Yeah, I mean, you always want to use it. We, we, we used it for a long time, and I think with email warm-up, you want to keep it running 24-7. Um, the analogy I like to give is that you know, if I'm in the MLB, if I'm a baseball player and steroids were legal, then I would use steroids, right? And and I think of email warm-up as steroids for your email. So why not use them? It's only going to help. You know what I mean? Yeah. That was uh, step number one. We say warming up your inbox. And then also you are talking about um, having your inbox set up. Did you do it or did you did someone help you with that at, at Panadoc? We didn't, like I said, we didn't fully fix the problem with Panadoc. So yeah. that might not, like... We, we, we got so far, but yeah, I mean, especially at a company the size of Panadoc, where we had 700 employees, you really have to get IT involved. So there's a lot of technical things that go into it because IT owns, you know, I'm an SDR manager. I don't have access to the whole domain for the whole company. So it comes with a lot of, but this is why it's hard is because you have to be able to communicate with your IT team and say, hey, this is a problem. We need to fix this. We need to set up these authentications. And, um, you know, a lot of companies that maybe they don't have the best communication between sales and IT. Um, but that's where we, we started the conversation there. And you really need IT's help to, to get those things fixed. And that's something we, we did at Piper not uh, almost two years ago. Nice. With um, Jesse, uh, that I know you did a webinar with him. Mm -hmm at the, the beginning of August. And so he helped us with that. And yeah, we had to talk with uh, the dev team to, to help us uh, with that, basically. Yep. You started to talk about tools. Uh, what tools can someone use uh, to first fair warming their inbox, but also uh, anything else that they can use uh, to improve email availability? Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of different things. So one of the other big ones is not using your primary domain for cold email. And a lot of companies are still doing this, and we were still doing it at Pandadoc too. Um, but it's not a really well-known topic. I mean, if you're going to be sending cold emails, you probably want to create like a chilipiper.co and then have chilipiper.com be your main domain. And that serves as, for one reason, it's protection in case that domain starts to get locked out. It's not going to prevent your CEO from sending it. Because like there, it ha it's happened where SDRs are spamming so much on the primary domain and then a CEO would need to send an email to you know their investor. It, it lands in the spam folder because the SDRs have messed up the email domain. So create a separate domain. Warm that up. That's one of the biggest things. 
We talked about the email warm-up, setting up the authentications. There's also other things like there's certain formatting and words that will get triggered by the spam folder. So like easy ones, like if you use the word free, for example, that's going to make it more likely that you'll end up in the spam folder because Gmail and these sort of servers are looking for those things. Um, and then removing links and images from your email signature, especially if you're doing outbound, like how often are they clicking a link on an outbound email or clicking on a book, a meeting link? Um, you want to remove all links to optimize the amount of you know, the potential that you'll land in the inbox. Um, and then the last thing is, is, uh, well, there's two other things also making sure your lists are clean. So use like a list cleaning tool, or if you're using like zoom info or seamless, turn up the, uh, data accuracy, because especially right now with the way people are changing jobs uh, or people are getting laid off, um, when you're sending emails out, a lot more of them are bouncing. And every time that email bounces, it's going to hurt your domain. So you really want to keep that bounce rate below like five, three percent. And if it's above that, you're really going to start running into trouble with your domain over time. And so those are kind of the high level things um, there. You know, you can get a lot more technical than that. But um, I think that's a good starting, a good starting yeah. point. <laughs> uh, that's a good point. Uh, I have a question about the second email domain, because that's something I don't know if it was from JC or someone else. What I've heard also about having using the main domain of the company, when you have your marketing team sending emails also via, uh, via the newsletter, for example, that's something you can help with your, your score uh, for the spam filters. What do you think about that? Uh, did you saw some help from that or you prefer not to use a second domain? I do. I prefer to use it. I did see help from it. Um, as soon as you set up the domain, it's not you're not going to have the highest open rate right away because you got to warm it up. That's where if you use a warm-up tool with the second domain, it does help and it makes a difference. So, yeah, I'm all for it. And that's what we're doing at MailShake right now. Now at MailShake, that's something you started to do since day one at MailShake. So far. maybe not day one, but that's uh, on month one, that's something you, you worked on? Absolutely, yeah. Since day one, like when we get a new SDR, like, and I, let's say I hired you and you're starting two weeks from now, we're going to warm up your email that day so that your email is warmed up by the time you start. And how often do you track that now? Yeah, I mean, it's weekly. It's always something we're looking at. People don't, I see a lot of talk around like open rates being the vanity metric or whatnot. I think that's just completely untrue. Um, I'm, that's something I'm tracking weekly, if not more. Because um, yeah. if, if our open rates start to dip like below 60%, I want to know what's going on. Um, and the reason why open rates are so important is because let's say you have a lot of people are, are okay with a 30% open rate. And let's say they get a 2% reply rate. So that means for every 100 emails, you get two replies because 30% open. If you're able to double that to 60%, which is absolutely doable, then you're going to double the number of replies you get. So if the copywriting is good as getting replies, you want as many people as possible to see that email. And a lot of people don't get that. They're like, oh, open rates are a vanity metric. But that's why I think it's super crucial because I feel good about our copy. So I want to make sure as many eyeballs are seeing it as possible. You're right. If you want also to track if you're getting spam because you're not improving that. So now my next question I have also around that because now we are talking about email deliverability. What else can we do to improve um, your deliverability? Is there something else? No, I mean, those are the main things, right? Uh, there's super technical things that we can, I don't know if you want, how technical you want to get on this on this one, but we can get really technical. But then there's also things that are, yeah, then it's like making sure you're properly A-B testing. And then it, then we start getting into like copy and writing better emails, which does have to do with email deliverability. Um, but though, everything I highlighted are the main things in terms of 
what's not being talked about that you should do to fix your email deliverability. Okay, so we talk about warming up your inbox, uh, having the proper settings uh, for for your domain or so, and then uh, you are talking about using a second domain uh, to send those emails, actually. You mentioned the keywords that you don't want to use in spy features. You, uh, you mentioned free. Uh, do you have any other examples? Yeah, there's an article. Um, HubSpot is a really good article if you look up, it's like, top 396 or something words you shouldn't use in your email it's like some random number like that but if you look up hubspot spam words you'll see it pop up on google or maybe you can provide the link when the podcast comes out but um i looked through that article and then i went through all of our sequences and said and just removed those like any sort of words like that and then it's like formatting like don't use bold bolded words uh italics that sort of stuff you want to just do simple text plain format um and then yeah if you look at that article it'll you'd be surprised at how many kind of words are in there but um, that's what the ser- I mean, the servers are smart. Like they just want to make sure that you're not nobody's spamming, and they'll take a chance by sending a regular email to spam. I'll share that in the description of the episode. Then you mentioned about removing links, but also images, and then the last one is also making sure you have your emails that are verified. Also, to to send that. Now you you started yourself to talk about that already. So that's step number one. If you want to make sure that uh, your emails um, are not in spam. Now, the, the next question is around open rate. What can you do to improve your point? So obviously you have subject lines. You can tweak your first line also. You can multi-thread also. What do you do also to improve your open rates? Deliverability is the foundation for that. You touched on it, the uh, subject lines. So like a few quick subject line tips. I'm sure everybody's heard the one where uh, like use one to three words, as little words as possible. Um, but I just like to lowercase everything. Cause like if you see a marketing email, they're always capitalized. So I'll lower, even if it's their name, I'm lowercasing it. It's a lowercase e. Um, so lowercase of subject lines, as short as possible. Um, I like to just pull out, like, for example, um, I send, I, our software is for salespeople. And I was working at PandaDoc, it was also a software for salespeople. So what I would do is I'd grab the name of one of their reps. And so I would just put like Elric in this, as the subject line. And you're going to open that because that's one of your reps and the subject line is the name of the reps. Then I tie in the email into how our software could help you, how, how our software could help that specific rep. So I'm making a subject line that's very bold. It's the it's their, uh, you know, employee's name or it's the person on their team or it's one of their colleagues. Um, but then I'm still tying in the email to that bold subject line. And that's been something that helps a lot um, just Go on LinkedIn, find one of their, their colleagues' names, put that in the subject line, but then figure out how to actually appropriately tie that into the email. Um, and then, so the subject lines, that's one of the big things for open rates. The next, you touched on it, preview lines. Um, what is that text that they're going to see without opening the email? And I, like, there's a couple things. I think the biggest thing is I always start my emails out with the context of why I'm reaching out or, like, a trigger point. So I'll make that very specific. So... I might be reaching out and my contacts and my triggers because they just joined the company or they just got a promotion to a role where maybe they're looking at software like this or they're hiring uh, people that, you know, we would sell to. They're hiring SDRs and we sell for SDRs. So I'll call that out and say, hey, saw you just added three or four SDRs in the last couple of months. And it's some sort of like personalization or something very relevant uh, in that first line, not just like considering you're a VP of sales in the software industry sort of thing. You know what I mean? Like something specific. Um, I, but yeah. I, I see your LinkedIn profile and I reach out. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, something specific that they're going to see. 
basically yeah that's pretty good to to help you so yeah with your parents so just to come back on the subject line so you are talking about using uh the name of an employee and i really like that because i think that if you use that in a subject line uh, that's not something you can send that to every company because that's specific to them and then you use that also uh, on the body of the email so that's that's really good because it shows that's specific to them for the preview line what you mentioned also about uh, adding some context also that's why also I think some people are not talking about subject line because they think that the subject line is the only thing that impacts your open rate. But generally, when you check uh, your emails on your on your laptop or on your phone, generally you can see, I think it's 18 words on your laptop. And then on your phone, it's like 10 words, something like that. And then they can s- decide if they're going to open it or not. And showing them that you see something about them and that's specific to them, that impact. What other tips do you have uh, for helping with... Um, open rate. Well, I think those are two, those are the, we've just covered the three biggest ones, deliverability, your actual subject line, and then the context or the, uh, the preview line. The next thing that I also don't think a lot of people talk about is what's going on behind the scenes that actually directly impacts those open rates. So for example, anytime I send my initial email or pretty much any email, or we'll just start with the initial email. So what I'm always doing is I'm either calling right before that and then leaving a voicemail saying, Hey, Elric, about to send over an email. Subject line is X, Y, Z. Just wanted to give you a heads up, shoot me a reply when you get the chance. And then the email goes out right away. So they got that voicemail that points to their email, which is going to directly impact the open rate because they have that familiarity. The second thing I do, because I don't always want to make a cold call before I've even sent a single email, is I will connect on LinkedIn. And it's literally just a simple message. And sometimes it's all it takes is like, Hey, Elric, um, sending over an email shortly, just wanted to put a face in the name. Subject line is XYZ. And that's my connection request message, and it points people to the email. And so that also uh, directly impacts the open rates. So whether you're doing a quick touch on LinkedIn that's pointing to the email or a phone call with a voicemail that's pointing to the email, do something outside of the actual email itself that's going to point to them opening the email. Initially, take a couple seconds, and that's going to help boost those open rates as well. And also, I think something... When you do that, also leveraging another channel to point them to your um, to your email. Yeah. What I'm talking a lot with my team also, it's when you put some effort, for example, to write your emails, that's something you don't just want to send an email and then uh, wait that they open it. And like you just mentioned, you call them also, connect with them on, on LinkedIn to point them to this email. Because if you are putting some efforts to an account, you want to make sure that this prospect or this person are going to see it. Yeah, exactly. I think it was yesterday you were talking about, yeah, I'm going to uh, read your, the post. Yeah. What you mentioned is, you should you alter your sales approach during an economic downturn? And you talk about your method, um, the Jedi method. So what is that? Yeah, well, so I'm going to be sharing it uh, on uh, the high tech of market games. Um, it's so... The, the, the thing behind that post, and I think it's really relevant to what's going on right now, is obviously there is an economic downturn, and, and it kind of raises a question of, you know, should you change your approach? You know, can, can you still get away with the same amount of activities? Can you still get away with the same types of activities, or do we have to alter our approach? So some ideas I've heard being shared are, you know, you should change your messaging to be a little bit more focused around, you know, reducing risk or saving costs, things like that, where... We're changing our messaging with the times of what's going on, similar to maybe what happened right when COVID hit and everybody was going crazy in like April, April 2020. Um, so the Jedi method is kind of, um, it's a lot of stuff that I've kind of shared through uh, Practical Prospect in my newsletter. And um, it's kind of funny. It's uh, it's more just like a name. 
to share ideas. It's more like branded name. Justin Michael just actually branded it as the Jedi Method as a play on my name. But um, I think the, the the key thing that I'll be sharing is that um, whenever I talk about any sort of prospecting strategy, I always come up with the approach of less is more. So shortening your emails, um, shortening your cold calls, uh, always just trying to find the relevance and why you're reaching out. And I think that's the biggest thing and just kind of sticking to the fundamentals. So get really good at copywriting. That's a big thing I talk about is like a lot of my successes as SDR just came from being really good at copywriting from uh, just staying consistent with my activities. So there's no like silver bullet magic strategies I'm gonna be sharing. I think more what I'll be sharing is how to get really good at the fundamentals because I think that's most important right now during like an economic downturn because um, you know, the, the tactics maybe worked six months a year ago are not gonna work as well now because people aren't are looking at emails as much. Like you have to be consistent with your activities. You have to up your copywriting skills. You have to probably increase the number of activities and you just, this is the time to really like focus on getting really good at your sales skills. When you say, for example, improve your copywriting skills, what, what do you do to, what do you read? Um, is it a book? Or what do you do to improve your copywriting skills? Yeah, it's really funny. It's like, so uh, I played basketball growing up in high school and I love basketball. And, you know, if someone was asking me, how did you get better at basketball? My answer would be, I played basketball and I, cop and I, and I, and I practiced basketball. Yeah. And so I have people asking me like, how do you get good at copywriting? I'm like, you have to write, like, <laughs> you just yeah. have to, you have to practice. And I think a lot of people are like, oh, like I, they hate the, the fact of writing. Um, and so the, well, the way I got good at it, I guess, was just um, directing my focus towards it. I, I, it starts with saying, this is a goal I want. I want to get good at copywriting. And uh, it started with consistently posting on LinkedIn, even if they were crappy posts. If you scroll down, you'll see a lot of shitty posts. Um, and it was just consistently writing. And I, and I figured that, you know, writing every day and making some sort of post, even if it's bad, even if it's just bad, like it wasn't a good post, yeah. the fact that I showed up and did it every day, naturally I'm going to improve. Um, I talk, I heard uh, Landon Meyer, I'm sure you've seen him on LinkedIn recently. Yep. He talked about for 90 days, he made three LinkedIn posts a day for 90 days straight. If you commit to something like that, you're going to get good at copywriting. There were some books I read, Everybody Writes is a really good book, which is some tactical stuff. Copywriter's Handbook is really dense, but there's a lot of good strategies in there and like tactical stuff. So those are two good books. And then the second thing was just watching successful posts on LinkedIn and trying to break that down. And uh, I know I'm talking about LinkedIn copywriting, but yeah. all of that transfers, transfers over to cold email. You want to make it spaced. You want to do short sentences, fifth grader level, all the, the basic copywriting things that you practice on LinkedIn apply to cold email. I saw on the post also you are talking about focusing on, on learning about your SAP. A lot of SDRs, they don't focus on that because uh, they think knowing your SAP is not that important as knowing what the last tactic, for example, because they love to see if I to go after the silver bullets that you can find. I've listened to your episode with Kaylee uh, on this podcast the other day, and uh, I know you talk about that, but I think it's super valuable to talk about it again. Um, what do you do to learn about your SAP? If you are an SDR, just starting uh, or, or want to learn more about ACP? I, I was the same way. Like, it's not a knock on anybody, but like when I first, my first six months as an STR, I was just on LinkedIn trying to find the next tactic. You know what I mean? And so all I was doing was just hammering the phones, blasting out emails and um, just trying to find the quickest way to success. And uh, the, the thing is, I was actually getting close to my targets because I was just putting in an insane amount of activity, but it was like burning me out. And so I was like, there had to be a better way. So it, it really started with, 
you have to be really intentional, um, you know, trying to understand your ICP. Because again, what the, what happens when you understand your ICP really well is all of your messaging becomes a lot more relevant. You're having better conversations on the phone. Your copywriting improves. So like your emails land a lot better. Your LinkedIn messages, they land a lot better. So just by understanding, you know who to focus on and who to not. So when you get your accounts to go after, you're not just and like mindlessly prospecting the wrong people. You're figuring out who is the right person to talk to. So it's a huge time saver and it makes everything you do more efficient. Yeah. The things that I did to start doing that were I would go and, and listen to demo recordings. That's one of the biggest ones. Um, and then try to pull out the specific language that the prospects were using. Um, so like pull out specific language from demo recordings. I would go on G2 crowd and look at our reviews and say, how are people talking about my product? Let me use that language and try to learn from that. Um, I would interview people at my company. So when I was at PandaDoc, we sold to salespeople. I wasn't an AE, so I had no idea what it was like to want to, 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 you know, close a deal or have a deal go dark or, you know, waiting for that e-signature to come through to close the deal. So I would talk to our AEs about it, talk to our director of sales, talk to our VP of sales. These are all people I sold to. So I want to learn how they think. So I call that like interviewing your internal ICP, um, looking at your inbound leads, right? So look at uh, what sort of leads are coming inbound. Why are they coming inbound? What are like the patterns you can find? And so there's a long list of things you can do, but they're really hard and they're not things that are going to immediately lead to you booking a meeting. So you have to make time in your calendar for that. Maybe you got to do it on a weekend. Maybe you got to wake up early and do it. Maybe you got to do it after work. You have to find time for, for these things to be more intentional, to really research and then kind of game plan around how you're going to improve your messaging. But those are the, the main things I did to understand my ICP. That's pretty good because, for example, the um, specific language, that's something then you can use that in your outreach also because you can use the same exact words that your prospect or customer are currently using, for example, when they talk uh, to UAEs or to UCS team, for example. Uh, because what I've seen uh, in the past generally in the previous companies, they, they love to use like buzzwords uh, in, in, on, their on the website and then generally you want to use the same words, but that's not the, the words that your prospect or customer are using. So I really uh, like that. When I've started Shaper, for example, I watched every case study we have on top of what you mentioned and why. Um, I know it's us recording this, so it's an interview with uh, customers. But I re what I really like is the story behind why, for example, they, uh, they bought Shaper. So you have the before, uh, the problems they have, and um, and that's super powerful too because you can uh, talk about that after when you have a prospect on the phone, for example. And then you have the after. And um, when I imagine a Panadoc or at Milchank, when you have different personas, it's super interesting to have um, the specific problems for each persona and the, the outcome of that, because then you can, now when you, re you are reaching out to a VP of sales or a VP of marketing, you can understand the pains that they are currently having. And then how, with Chili for example, you can solve that. Um, and, uh, and I think yeah, one last thing also, it's, Listen to, for listen or consume content they, they consume. For example, for Chili Piper, I think one of the person that we have is uh, marketing or dimension leaders. And there is some, obviously, podcasts or content over that. And what I'm learning a lot is uh, going just to listen to those podcasts and you can leverage that also in your outreach. I like that. That's awesome. So you're talking about like, under, like going through the content that your customers are engaging with, right? 
Yeah, that's I haven't thought about that. That's interesting. If you are find the thought leaders of your personas, you can also think about differently about that because the interviews with customers, I think that's that's great and that's good to learn about how your products solve their uh, their challenges. But also having the thought leaders there of the industry, that's interesting also. Yeah, I agree. I saw another post that I really enjoy that something is uh, shifting your brand approach from from the me to them, basically. For those who are listening, basically, it's uh, instead of focusing on you and your outcome, it's focusing on the outcome of, of your prospect. You mentioned three things. Optimizing for interests, not meetings. So that's uh, number one. Leading with, with value, not ask. And then spending more time up front, getting uh, info from the bottom up, for example. How can you implement that, for example, for someone who are listening today? Yep, absolutely. So, I mean, it kind of goes back to what I said earlier. It's it's difficult to, it's difficult. To, we all, we like, we live in a place where we just bought like immediate results. And as an SDR, like, we're looking for the next sort of silver bullet. We've been talking about it throughout this whole podcast. And so this is another one of those things where you have to be a little bit more intentional. And this was something that personally helped me a lot. I was very focused on every single cold call. I'm just trying to get the meeting. All my emails, they ask for a meeting. Um, but when you kind of shift your focus and slow down a little bit and realize if I just ask for interest or if I say, or if I even send emails where it's just like, Hey, I saw your new SDR manager. A lot of SDR managers are looking for ways to, you know, increase their open and reply rate on cold email. Here's a playbook we created that Mailshake created. And I send them that, uh, that blog post or that, that webinar, or just send them some sort of content without an ask, then they might reply and say, Oh, I appreciate that. Um, those are the sort of things I'm optimizing for. So try to like change your approach in the sense that you're not just asking, 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 because you're only going to get a, a small number of people from doing that. If you lead with value, if you are a little bit more focused on just starting a conversation, I know all that sounds nice, but the tactical ways you do that are just sending content, sending resources that's going to be relevant to them. Then you can go back in for an ask three days later. Or just say, hey, like, what were your thoughts on that content? If you're up for a call, we can discuss further. And you make it a lot more appealing to them to actually want to join that call. Um, wherever you work, whatever company you're at, you are the expert at that thing. So like Chili Piper is the expert at, you know, optimizing your funnel, for example, or making sure nothing slips, like no inbound leads slips through the cracks. So, so, so you guys, your SDRs can reach out and be like, hey, um, you know, a lot of SDR managers are looking for just some tactics around making sure none of their inbound leads slip through the cracks. Are you up for a call to just share ideas? That doesn't sound like a Chili Piper demo at all. But if I'm an SDR manager and, and somebody from Chili Piper reached out to me with that, I'm like, yeah, that sounds really interesting. Let's jump on a call. And then what we find is that naturally you start talking about Chili Piper. So think about like what your expertise is in. Um, and then just try to share the things you learn from talking about your product all day. You're an expert about your product. Share what's going to be valuable to them. And naturally, conversations about your product will start. And so that's kind of what I meant from shifting it from me to them focus because it requires more patience. You won't book the meeting immediately every time, but you'll book more meetings in the long run. And um, it's a lot harder. It's harder for people to kind of to see that long-term vision. But um, it's it's definitely worth it, and it's um, it's something to consider. I have two questions here. One is how do you implement that, for example, in your sequences? Do you if I do, you, do you start with that on your currencies um, 
on your first emails, you you you, you try to give value. Uh, what's your approach? Yeah, so like half of our email, half of our emails don't even have an ask. They're just like, here you go. And so, uh, all of our sequences, cadences, campaigns, whatever you want to call them, are based around some sort of trigger event. So like a really common one is they're hiring SDRs. So the whole sequence, any lead we put into that sequence is uh, a sales leader who's hiring SDRs. And so some of our emails will be asked for like, you know, are you open to learning more or maybe a demo? Um, but a lot of our emails are like, hey, new SDR lead or, or SDR, people who are hiring SDRs are typically looking for, you know, relating it to MailShake since we're like cold email software are looking for ways to, you know, increase reply rates and open rates for those SDRs. Here's a playbook we created. And so it's literally just that, or do you want the playbook? And then it forces them to respond and say, here you go, here's a playbook. Um, so yeah, like half of our emails are just not asking. And we're just, I'm literally going on MailShake's website, finding cool content that our marketing team created or a webinar that I think legitimately would be valuable. And I'm putting that into the emails and saying, hey, here, would you like, do you want this sort of content? Um, and then we're relating it to the triggers. So like somebody who's hiring SDRs are thinking about ways to like start building that team out. Somebody who's new to a team might be looking for different types of content. So you want to like focus the content uh, around the, the trigger of the context of why you're reaching out. Did you read um, The Ultimate Sales Machine by Chet Holmes? No. So there is a chapter uh, about the, I think it's called the buying pyramid. Um, and what they talk about uh, on this pyramid basically it's you have 3% of your prospect in yeah. the market who are in buying mode. Then you have 7% who actively looking for a solution for the problems. Then you have people who knows that they have a problem, but they don't know if there is a solution to solve that. So it's 30%. Then you have 30% people uh, that doesn't care about solving uh, this issue. And then you have 30% of people that uh, they know that uh, they don't know they have a problem and they don't know about the solution. And having this approach, basically, generally when you have people prospecting, they only focus on those people who are buying mode. So when you have emails just to ask for a meeting or demo, uh, that's you have really low reply because if you uh, don't have a need for this solution, that's why you don't have a lot of replies. But with an approach like this, when you educate uh, your prospect, um, that having this approach is, like you said, it's for the long term, but that definitely makes a difference because you're not just talking to those people when buying one, you're talking to a larger audience, basically. Yeah, that's such a good point. And I didn't even think about it like that. If you're, if you're like kind of leading with value in that sense, you're not making ask. Because like, to your point, if you put a hundred prospects into a, a sequence and all of your messaging is just demo, 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 demo. At most, you're going to book like three, right? Because like you said, 3%. But if you kind of have this long-term approach, you're going to get those people who were in buying mode anyways, but then you're going to start conversations with the rest who are like more in that discovery phase and you might book 10, 15, but that those 10, 15 might not come right away. They might come over the next month sort of thing. Exactly. But also it's um, when you, I don't know all the research you have on that, but I know Gartner talked a lot about that, that right now, uh, and uh, by the way, I've seen a post today talking about that they say, they mention your prospects, they spend 5% of their time with your sales team when they are buying uh, a software, for example. So it means that generally they say, when they say yes to a demo, that they already done some research uh, when they say yes to the demo. So uh, if you are making, uh, helping them in finding a solution to their problem, that make a difference. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. We are almost at the end. And so now uh, I have one question for you. What question do you have for me? 
Ooh, what question do I have for you? Um, yeah. <laughs> what has been your biggest struggle um, as an as an SDR leader? Like, what has been the hardest thing for for you to like the hardest challenge for you as a, as an SDR leader? I think it's the switch from the individual contributor mindset to serving the team. What I mean by that is when you're an SDR, I think you have different skills you need to focus on. And when you master them, I would say, yeah, call calling, cold emailing, copywriting, uh, you start as a manager. And then I think being a manager or leader, basically, it's it's a new a new job, actually. Yes, you know how to prospect, but now it's, you need to learn how to coach people, you need how to train, you need to hire. And there is so much skills that you don't have generally. You need to develop and you need to learn. And I think where I'm struggling, it's uh, if SDI, it's maybe you, have, you need 15 skills to master. Uh, managing people, I think it's for leading a team, it's like 30 skills, different skills. And it's where do you need to prioritize that? And for what you need to prioritize to, to have an impact? Because you can master, I don't know, right now, if I were talking about forecasting, for example, for a team. And does forecasting is important as um, coaching skills. And that's really where I'm struggling because um, sometimes I think I need to improve on one skill and then I, f I uh, I'm changing that. Every week I'm changing, not, not every week, but every quarter I try to really um, revisit uh, my focus for the quarter. I resonate with that a lot. There's so many different uh, things you have to focus on as an SDR manager. And I think another big one too is like, you, you want to show your team that you still got it, or you can still prospect, but you have to focus on coaching, but you still want to like, you know, make cold calls with the team, that sort of thing. But yeah, I love that answer. And uh, you, what's your biggest challenge struggle? I think there's a lot of, I, I think this probably happens with a lot of like high performers, I guess, is there was things that maybe are really hard to like conceptualize and teach that made you successful, you know, or that you did when you were an SDR. And that's one of the hardest things is like, how can I break that down and really teach this person so they understand? Because there's, there's, there's basic things that like you can teach cold calling scripts. You can teach how to write a good email. Well, there's like just certain things around prospecting and being a strong SDR that are really hard to teach. And so my biggest struggle has been like, how can I really just break down everything that has made me a successful SDR and teach that and coach that um, as, as, as much as possible? And uh, that's one area where I've struggled the most is like figuring out how I can best coach because coaching is very, is very difficult. You know, they have to be bought in. Um, and so it kind of aligns with that. Yeah. I'd say that that's the biggest thing. I agree with you on that because yeah, that's also, it's not coming with this mindset of you want to replicate mini use basically, because I know it's sometimes I think that's, uh, maybe at the beginning of something I was trying to do also, it's try to replicate uh, a version of me. Um, so I was, uh, yeah, when I was an SDR, you, I was doing this, so you, you need to do that. Now I'm more focused on, Hey, what's the, the strengths and the weaknesses of the person and trying to focus on that also. Yeah, man, it's tough. It's, uh, coaching is, um, I think I, I saw a post from Scott Lees the other week where he said, coaching is like leg day. I mean, you know, everybody wants to skip leg day, but coaching is like leg day for sales managers. Um, and it's, uh. It's like probably the most impactful thing you can do, but it's also probably like the most difficult and hardest thing to do. Because I think coaching also, it's, yeah, there is also coaching opportunities. Uh, you don't need to wait for one-on-ones or stuff like that. 
And uh, sometimes, like you said, you can be lazier at it. And I've been, yeah, I think right now I'm really improving on that. So if I'm trying to improve, sorry, on that. In the past, it was, yeah, just waiting for the one-on-one to have coaching session. Now it's first to have the team also being comfortable on that, to look yeah. for more coaching opportunities. And then the second is every one-on-one try to have uh, coaching opportunities. Also. Yeah. I like that. Be more proactive. Yep. Well, um, we are at the end of the interview. So thanks so much, Ed, uh, for, for the interview. Uh, the conversation, it was great. Yeah, thanks, Mark. This is super fun. I love the question at the end, too. That's, I like it. Thank you.